thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message. Victory Church, good morning. Oh, wow. You know, we in Sweden, we can't still do in-person services. So every time I get the chance to actually worship together with the people of God, it kind of, ah, oh, it's a, just a beautiful thing. How many know you, sometimes you don't know what you have until you don't have it for a while? Ne let's never take the presence of God for granted. I've enjoyed worshiping. You are my family of God right here today. Thank you so much for having me. Please be seated. Like Pastor John said, we met uh, a, a year and a half ago, and you know, as soon as we connected and had that time together, I was just so impressed and amazed by this man of God, because as soon as you get close to him, you're going to be impressed for sure. So, so since, you know, we stayed in touch a little bit, I've, I've been listening to, to his teaching online from your church, and I just hoped and prayed that at one point or another, the Spirit would allow me to join you guys and celebrate Resurrection Sunday, and, and you know, uh, at, at one point or another. So I'm so happy and I'm so honored to be here. Thank you, Pastor, for having me. Thank you, church, for receiving me. Are you okay with a little Swedish dialect here? Are we okay with that? By the way, thank you guys for turning Oklahoma into Sweden weather-wise. <laughs> Would you call the disaster we called winter? <laughs> oh, man. Now, Sweden, you know, is a nation up in the north of Scandinavia, north of Europe. A cold, frozen nation governed by two princesses called Elsa and Anna. <laughs> and, and they reside in the castle of Ikea. And, and that's pretty much, we have a national anthem called Mamma Mia. And, uh, you know, there, there's, oh, man. And as you heard, my name is Joachim. And, and here's the first challenge, because I realize that's a very hard name to pronounce for you guys. I've heard all kinds of versions. Pastor's version was really, really good. So you have really two options if you want to address me. Either you can call me Pastor, you're welcome. And that's close enough. But if you really want to kind of step it up a notch, and come closer to the original pronunciation. Um, imagine a rapper greeting the North Korean dictator. Yo, Kim. <laughs> that, that's probably as close as you're going to get. And just so you know, before we get into the Word of God, um, I'm married to Maria, my beautiful wife. We're heading up to 34 years of marriage. Come on, church. I'm the proud and happy father of Evelina, who's 30, and Julia, who's 28. Julia got married six years ago, and now she has a family of her own, including two beautiful boys, which makes me a grandfather. So um, it's a bit ironic from a biblical perspective, because the one with the hair, that's Zion, and the one with no hair at all is Samson. And apart from being a husband and a father and a grandfather, I'm also so happy and honored to pastor Word of Life Church in Sweden. Now, Sweden is the second most secularized nation in the world. It's one of the most socialistic and individualistic nations in the world. But praise God, my Bible says that where sin abounded, grace would abound even more. 
And, and by the grace of God, we're seeing God do amazing things. And we're seeing his kingdom expand uh, all over the world in just an, an amazing way. So all you guys need to come to visit us, okay? In this room, there are only two categories of people. Those who have come to visit Word of Life in Sweden or those who will soon come to visit Word of Life in Sweden, okay? Just don't come in the winter because you would die and, and, <laughs> and we can't have that, okay? So I want to share the Word of God with you guys this morning. And I want to start out in the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts chapter 2. And we're going to read some verses that are quite well known. It's the story of the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Really the birthday of the church as we know it. So let's read from the very first verse of Acts chapter 2. Are you okay with Swedish dialect? Is that okay? You understand what I'm what I'm trying to communicate, okay? Because if you don't, I will invite you guys to Sweden and have you speak in Swedish, and you can see how easy it is. Okay, so when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And all people said, Amen. Okay, so I've been reading these verses for so many times. And most of the times I've thought to myself, well... There's one thing going on here, and that's the fact that the Spirit is coming upon the believers, equipping them to fulfill the great commission given by Jesus. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. And I thought that was it. But then a couple of years ago, as I read these verses again, the Spirit started speaking to my heart. Aren't you amazed by the Word of God? That you can read the same verses year in and year out, and all of a sudden, bam, your eyes open and, and all of a sudden, there's an addition, there's an added understanding. So the Spirit started to show me that there's not only one thing, but two things going on here. One thing is happening inside the four walls of the church, and there's also something going on out in the street. The Spirit is coming upon the believers, equipping them to speak the gospel and to share God's love but at the same time, the Spirit seems to be doing a work in the people out on the street, out in the world. The Spirit is stirring curiosity. He's stirring questions. So you could say that God is preparing one group, that will be you and me, to speak. And at the same time, He's preparing another group to hear. He's preparing one group to share the love of God and the good news of the gospel. And at the same time, another group on the street are being prepared to receive. And the more I understood this and started to teach our church about this, because the Spirit started to show me that it's the same thing today. Every time we come together as the church of God and just like we did worship God and lift up the name of Jesus, we are being spiritually prepared to go into our world and share the gospel and the love of Jesus. But at the same time, that same spirit is preparing someone in your world to listen. 
praise God. Right now, one of your neighbors, one of your friends, one of your relatives, one of your colleagues at work, one of your fellow students is being prepared, massaged by God in his heart or her heart to hear the gospel of Jesus as it comes out through your words and your lifestyle. Amen? So we started expecting that actively, and we saw miracles started to happen. Not only did our church start to come to attend church on Sunday, but as we left church, we left it as missionaries, believing God that he had already prepared by his spirit people to hear the gospel in our world. Amen? Amen. And I got so many examples. I'll just give you one. I'll tell you the story of a guy, a 25-year-old guy, who was a Muslim immigrant to Sweden, and he immigrated to Sweden a few years ago, and he ended up in a city about one hour north of where we are. Now, as this Muslim tried to accommodate himself in this new very cold nation compared to Syria, um, he, he did quite well, but then last summer, he started having a very unusual experience. He kept dreaming the same dream every night. And in the dream, he saw a big auditorium where thousands of people were standing like this. Now, this guy was a Muslim. He's never come in contact with the church, could at all relate to what this dream meant. He just kept seeing the same auditorium and the same thousands of people standing like this. So eventually, he thought to himself, well, this must mean something. So he got out on the street of his city and started asking random Swedes, excuse me, do you know of a big auditorium where people stand like this? <laughs> now, brothers and sisters of the U.S., I need to tell you something about Sweden right now. Because you guys are world champions in social interaction. You guys actually talk to one another over here. In Sweden, not so much. So this guy's first mistake was even addressing a stranger that you do all the time. Every time I hear somebody from my church going to the United States, I have to sit down with them and explain how you guys are operating over here. <laughs> you actually talk to strangers. I'm telling my church people, when you get into an elevator and there will be an American in there, that person might actually say something to you. <laughs> and that doesn't mean that he wants to kidnap you or anything like that. They're just polite, like we are not. Because a Swede, if, if addressed as a stranger, would panic. An American would say, what's up? And a Swede would go, why would you say that? Why are you, why are you referring to an app on my phone? You know, so, so Swedes don't normally interact. So this guy, not only was he, you know, considered asking a very strange question, but, but you know, he kind of break our social code of rules. So he didn't get any answer to, to his question at all. So eventually, he thought to himself, well, the auditorium that I see in my dream is a big place. So maybe it's in Stockholm, the capital of Sweden. So he gets on a train and goes to Stockholm to try to find this mysterious auditorium filled with thousands of people who stand like this. And when you go by train from his city to Stockholm, the last city you're going to pass before you arrive is our city of Uppsala. So he passed our city, and he came to Stockholm. He steps out on the platform in Stockholm, and there was a man standing there. 
And this man, a complete stranger, walks up to this young Muslim and he tells him, man, you went one station too far. You need to go back one station. So this young Muslim goes, okay, thank you. And he goes back on the train. <laughs> and he goes back one station to our city. And then he goes out on the street and he asks the first person that he comes across, excuse me, do you know of an auditorium where thousands of people are standing like this? And this guy says, that's Word of Life Church. Everybody knows that. So this young Muslim takes the bus and he arrives at our church. It's a Saturday night. He comes into our church, first time he's ever been to a church. And as he comes into the auditorium, he recognizes the auditorium in detail. He recognizes the balconies. He recognizes the color schemes. And inside of it is thousands of people worshiping the lamb that was slain. And then the first thing he hears is me giving the altar call. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus. And he opens his heart, he lifts his hand, and he accepts Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And I'm thinking, you know, we didn't know this story until afterwards. But then I thought to myself, how much heavenly coordination went into this process? God gave him a dream and put the dream on repeat. God placed an angel on the Stockholm train station, and God guided him exactly to that moment. That's how much God loves one single human being. That's how desperate and passionate God is to bring the gospel to one more person. Amen? And we were reminded that truly we are prepared to speak, but also the world is more prepared to listen and to receive than we might even think. Amen? So, if God is the God who prepares us to speak, and God is the God who also prepares the world around us to listen and receive, then what is our part to play? What is our duty? How are there anything involved for, for you and me to do to make sure that the outcome will be everything God had intended? And the answer is yes, there are two things. And those two things are my main points for you guys this morning. Number one, dare to believe that the Holy Spirit is with you. Dare to believe that the Holy Spirit is with you. And if I have one life message, this is it. Dare to believe that the Holy Spirit is with you. Yes. And it says in, in John chapter 14, we, we hear Jesus introducing the person of the Holy Spirit for his disciples. This is right before Gethsemane, right before Calvary. And he starts to teach his disciples about this third person of the Godhead who would replace him on earth. And it's very interesting as we read how he starts sharing about the Holy Spirit. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Victory Church, can we say forever? forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Note that the very first thing that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit is not that the Holy Spirit is big and powerful, although He is, and it's not that the Holy Spirit will give you emotional experience and goosebumps. 
although he might. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the first thing Jesus wants you to know about the Holy Spirit is that he will always be with you. He will never leave you. He will be there forever. And that means, my friend, that there will be days when you experience his presence and don't we love those days. But there will also be days where you don't experience anything at all. But he's with you just the same. Because, hear me out, church. The Holy Spirit is not with you because you feel him. He is with you because Jesus promised he would be. And Jesus would never, ever lie. So the challenge for you and me is simply to dare to believe that he is with us. Especially those days and times where you don't feel a thing. Amen? And, and you know, I, I'm the same as you in this area. I'm still in the process of daring daily to trust him even though I don't have a, maybe an emotional confirmation of his presence. Uh, the other year, that's a funny story. I was on a plane going to the Faroe Islands, okay? Faroe. I'm not judging you if you've never, ever heard about the Faroe Islands. It's a small group of islands in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. For some reason, 50,000 people have ended up there. I don't know how. I don't know why. But every year, they, they, they arrange a Christian conference of 3,000 people, which is quite impressive for a total population of 50,000. So I was on my, on my way there to preach at this conference. I was sitting there in my seat on, on the plane. I was reading my Bible and getting my heart ready to share the gospel that night. Now, next to me was a man, a huge man, huge in every direction. Let, let's just call him extra, extra large, okay? And on top of being huge, he was also drunk, extremely drunk. Now, because he was drunk, when he was so drunk, I was almost intoxicated simply by the fumes that <laughs> came out of his body. That was the level of intensity. And because he was drunk, he was also very loud. And because he was loud, he kept talking and talking. Now, this is a plane full of Swedish people. And when Swedish people, when there's someone loud in a Swedish group, everybody else goes silent. That's just how we operate as a race, okay? So everybody now is quiet, and he has a solo performance and sharing everything that pops into his mind at the moment. And as he does, he's also making these gestures, <laughs> punching me all the time without even knowing it. And I'm sitting next to him, and you might think, Pastor Joachim, holy man of God, <laughs> I bet you were praying for the salvation of his soul. No. <laughs> to be honest with you guys, I was, I was not in prayer mode at all. I was in annoyment and irritation mode, okay? If I was praying for one thing, I'd pray for God to move this guy to another seat. I'm being super honest with you. Upgrade him, downgrade him, whatever grade him, just get him off of me. He's messing with my holiness here. <laughs> so anyway, here am I sitting there being annoyed with this guy who's just you know, smelling of alcohol and punching me and screaming and shouting all over the plane. And all of a sudden, the captain came on the speaker. 
saying, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry to inform you that we've been told there was a storm over the Faroe Islands and we will not be able to land tonight. We have to turn around and make another attempt tomorrow morning. We're very sorry for any inconvenience. And the whole plane went, oh. That's Swedish people expressing intense anger. <laughs> Do you ever hear a Swede go, oh, run for your life? Okay, just, just letting you know. Um, everyone went, oh, apart from this guy. He started screaming and shouting, saying, no, get this plane down. I want to see my family tonight. Come on, land. And I was just going, oh, what's the pilot going to do? Saying, okay, I'll try. So the pilot says we can't land, then we can't land, and we shouldn't even try. And all of a sudden, he looks at me, he looks at my Bible, he looks back at me, and then he says, man, you better pray right now. <laughs> and I'm taking completely off guard. I'm, be, I'm trying to be so honest, honest as possible here. I was taking completely off guard. What do I say now? I was not in prayer mode at all. And uh, so, so I just thought about something to say. So I said, no. I will only pray if you pray with me. Yeah. And the whole plane went, oh. <laughs> so he thought a while, and uh, then he says, no, because I don't believe in God. Isn't it amazing that he wants me <laughs> to pray to a God that he does not believe in? So the plane went, oh. I, please note, everybody is following along with this conversation now. And um, then he, I said, well, if you don't pray with me, I don't pray either. Play went, oh. <laughs> then he thought for a while, and then he said this. If I pray with you, will we be able to land tonight? Wow. 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 <laughs> oh! plane is now dead quiet. Everybody wants to know, what will the Bible guy say now? <laughs> and here's where I search desperately on the inside for some kind of prophetic pop-up, for some kind of loudspeaker voice, for some kind of, you know, like divine finger writing on the wall. Yes, Joachim, you, you will be able to land tonight and everything's going to be fine. There was nothing. There was silence. There was no goosebumps, no emotional experience, absolutely nothing. So I just realized that I have a choice, two alternatives. Either I could chicken out of the situation, saying something like, well, God works in mysterious ways and we can pray, but you never really know. Or I could dare to believe that the Holy Spirit is with me. So I took probably the deepest breath I've ever taken in my life, and I said, Yes, <laughs> if you pray with me, we will be able to land. So help me, God. Play went, oh. <laughs> so this guy said, okay, let's pray then. He folded his hands, bowed his head. And I put my hand on him. I prayed with him. I prayed for him for a long time, wanting to allow God maximum time 
This was like a director's cut extended version prayer. I prayed for his life, for his wife, for his family, for his job, for his finances. I really went deep in prayer. And then eventually when I ran out of stuff to pray for, <laughs> I just said, God, I pray that we will be able to land tonight in Jesus' name, please. <laughs> Amen. And he said, Amen. And the whole plane said, Amen. No, they didn't do that. <laughs> Five seconds later, the captain is back on the speaker. Ladies and gentlemen, we've just been informed that the storm has cleared and we will be able to land tonight. Now, Victory Church, please understand my motive for sharing this story. I don't want to come across as some kind of spiritual superhero. Quite the opposite. I just want to illustrate the fact that sometimes you will not feel anything. Sometimes there will be no goosebumps whatsoever. But when you dare to believe, there's a miracle waiting to happen. There's a miracle waiting to happen. <laughs> Praise God. Now... Uh, the second thing we need to do in order for this equation to be complete, while God is the God who will prepare us to speak, while God is the God who prepares our world to listen and to receive, there is one more thing that we sometimes need to do, and that is to step out of our boat. Step out of our boat. And I, I think that many of you guys will be familiar with the story from Matthew 14. When the 12 disciples of Jesus are in a boat traveling across the Sea of Galilee and Jesus comes walking on the water. Now, there's a conversation then between Jesus and Peter ending with Jesus saying, come. And now Peter is left with a choice. And in order for us to understand this, the, the perspective here, we need to remind ourselves Peter was a fisherman. Matthew 4 says he was the son of a fisherman, which means that if, if he knew one thing and one thing alone, he knew that in order for you to transport yourself across the Sea of Galilee, you need a boat. That's absolutely vital and essential. So why am I sharing this story and how does it communicate to you and I? Because we might not be boat owners, but you know what? We all have an inner boat. And that boat is your area of security. It's your area of safety. It's the area of life in which you are comfortable and in control. And as you start out your walk with, with Jesus, a lot of times we step out of our boat because everything is new. Every single thing we're doing is a new thing. We step out of our comfort zone repeatedly, time and time and time again. It's natural as we start out our walk with God. But as we journey on and the months become years and maybe decades, we become less and less likely to step out of that boat. Maybe you ended up in a small boat. Maybe you ended up in a big boat, but you have a boat. You have an area in which you feel comfortable and safe and secure. Now, please understand, there's a beautiful, so many beautiful examples of when Jesus many times stepped into the boat of Peter. So sometimes Jesus comes to us on our own terms, on our own conditions. But there will be times in your life when Jesus will come on the water and he will look you in the eyes and he will say, come. 
Step out of your comfort zone. Do something you never done before so you can see something that you never seen before. Albert, mm, Albert Einstein said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. You know, in order for us to see something new, to break through into new territory, we need to step outside the boat. I do believe there are some moments where we can pray our knees torn apart for God to do something, and God is actually waiting for you and I to take a step of faith outside the boat. Amen? And I just want to share, because this goes for us as individuals, as families, and also as churches. And I just want to share at the very end of my message to you before I want to pray for you. Uh, I just want to share a story, a testimony of how God a few years ago challenged me and challenged our church to step out of the boat and what happened as a result. Now, brothers and sisters in the U.S., you might remember that a number of years ago, our continent, Europe, was faced with a humanitarian disaster in the shape of hundreds of thousands of refugees fleeing out of the Middle East. They were got in inflatable boats and, and you know, moved across the Mediterranean Sea, aiming for Athens, Greece, in the very, very southern tip of Europe. And as they got there, they started walking across our continent from the south to the north, most of them aiming for Sweden, my nation. Because at the time, we had very liberal immigration laws. Now, a few months, two months to be precise, before this happened, we had a pastor's retreat in which we spent time, you know, praying and preparing our hearts and listening to God and, and you know, uh, kind of setting the strategies and the plans and the goals for this upcoming year. And we had a prophetic word that we received together as a pastoral team. And that was, we felt God saying, there will be a new wave of missions. A new wave of missions. Now, every time we at Word of Life hear the word missions, we go, woohoo! Our tagline is, we are missions. We don't say we do missions, we are missions. And God, throughout these years, these past years, has sent us to so many weird and strange places. I've been telling my church multiple times, we will never start a church in Hawaii or the Bahamas. It seems God is always sending us to like North Korea, Afghanistan, uh, you know, Turkmenistan, Iraq, Iran, all these hard, tough places. So when he said there's a new wave of missions, we immediately started preparing and, and looking around to see where we would go next. Two months later, we start to realize that this wave of missions is not something that we are going to do going out, but this wave is actually coming our way. Now, as Sweden started to realize that hundreds of thousands of Muslim refugees are coming our way, we're a small country, we're 10 million people. So hundreds of thousands of people is a big deal. People started panicking. And there were so many voices of fear and frustration coming in the media and even from the Christian pulpits. People were saying, oh, the Muslims are coming and they're going to take over our nation. And we just started to pray in our church about how to position ourselves in regards to this, uh, this situation. Now, I want to make something very clear so you don't misunderstand me. I am not making a political statement by sharing this. 
I am not in favor of our own liberal immigration laws, okay? And I realize fully that by welcoming all these hundreds of thousands of people, we imported truckloads of social problems. There's no question about that. But you see, these were our laws. And the only way we could, we could really, we really had two choices. Either we could distance ourselves from this situation, point our finger and complain about it, or we could step out of our boats, engage in it, and dare to believe that somewhere inside this humanitarian disaster, there might be a seed of revival. Maybe God is using this situation to bring out people of Iran and Afghanistan that we could never reach with the gospel and all of a sudden get them within the range of hearing the gospel and, and feeling and embracing the love of Jesus Christ. So we felt God leading us to that. So the first thing we did was that we coordinated the Word of Life churches that were on the route of these uh, refugees' walking path from the south to the north. So right there in the south, that, that will be Athens, Greece, we put up a Welcome to Europe station. And every week we brought down many of our young people to man that station and, and welcome the refugees as they came in on their, on their inflatable boats. And then they could walk from one Word of Life church to another as they walked through Europe. And in every Word of Life church they would hear that Jesus Christ loved them and that God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And when they finally came into Sweden and, and tens of thousands came into our city, we put a big banner on our building saying, Refugees, welcome! And the Muslims couldn't believe it because they realized that if there were Christians coming into their nations, they would not have treated them with love. But all of a sudden, here are people who do not share their faith but still are going to love them and pray for them and help them. So we gave them food. We gave them medical attention. We, we had them sleep in our church auditorium by the hundreds. And they couldn't believe it. And time and time again, they said, why are you doing this? And we said, well, because the symbol of our faith is not this. But it's this. As we did, you know, we started throwing welcome to Sweden parties in our church. And I remember we set the faith goal for the first welcome to Sweden party. We had a faith goal and we prayed, God, we pray for 100 Muslims to come to our very first welcome to Sweden party. And you have to understand that even for a Muslim to come into a church, that's a huge step. Uh, we didn't get the 100. We got 471. And I couldn't believe it. And we had international food and we had music. And I preached the word of God. And I shared how Jesus himself was a refugee. How Joseph and Mary had to flee the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the terror of Herod and spend time in Egypt before they can come back. Our Jesus can relate to what you are going through right now. He can help you. He loves you. And he has a way for you. And we started to see Muslims giving their hearts to Jesus by the hundreds. 
It was like nothing I've ever seen. And we realized that as we gotten to know these people, they said repeatedly that we are not only fleeing war and the terror of the ISIS, we are fleeing Islam. We're fed up with our old religion, but their hearts were so open to embrace Jesus Christ. And as we kept preaching the gospel to them, Jesus started appearing in dreams and visions all over our city. At one point, he came into a flat with 17 Muslims who gathered. Everyone saw him. He preached the gospel, and he led them in a sinner's prayer. Now, when Jesus prays the sinner's prayer with you, you get saved. And we saw miracles, we saw healings, and to this day, 75% of all those who are saved and baptized in our church are former Muslims accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Like Pastor said, we have a, a Bible school that, that we've been running for, for many years. We had to start a new version of the Bible school, a former Muslim Bible school. And in just three years now, we have graduated 450 students, former Muslims who are now founded on the Word of God and strong in their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, these guys are Arabs. They can't pronounce my name either. So the other year, they gave me this T-shirt, Pastor Abdulakim. And I now have so many church members called Muhammad, I don't know what to do with them all. I'm just praying that God will never call any one of them to become a prophet because Prophet Muhammad from Word of God, that would be weird. But you know, as, I, as we celebrate our services back home, and I look back upon my church and I see hundreds and hundreds of former Muslim sons and daughters of Ishmael standing with their hands raised, praising the name of Jesus Christ, I think to myself, I could have missed this so easily simply by not stepping out of the boat, simply by staying safe, simply by going, no, we've never done this before. What will happen to our reputation? People might misunderstand what, what our aims are. We don't really have the money. I could have all these excuses to, have, to remain in the boat and this miracle will never have been released. And not only have we seen a miracle of salvation, now we're up to about 800 former Muslims who have accepted Jesus Christ in our church alone. And at the same time, the whole Middle East have opened up. We now have a Bible school in Iraq. And this is an image of me preaching in Egypt, in Cairo in Egypt sharing the gospel of Jesus with 10,000 Arab young people. This message was broadcasted live on YouTube and 2.5 million Muslims all over the Middle East heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where we shout for joy, church. But again, you know, I tremble on the inside as I share this because the miracles we've seen was you know, simply because of the fact of God's love and God's miraculous power. But he also completely relied on the fact that we would take that step out of our boat, out of our comfort zone, into brand new, unchartered territory.
And if we hadn't, none of this would have happened. I just want to close with one final story because there are so many individual stories, and now I'm talking about hundreds and thousands, but every single one of these people is an individual that Jesus loved so much that he died for him or her. I just want to share about one of these families, a father, a mother, and six children. They lived in, in Kabul in Afghanistan. And one day a Taliban warrior knocked on their door. And he told the father of the family that he wanted his 12-year-old daughter as his wife. And the dad says that she's only 12. I can't give you my daughter as your wife. And the Taliban said, okay, I'll be back tomorrow. And you have two choices. Either I get your daughter as my wife or I'm going to kill your entire family together with my army. That night, the father rolled out his prayer mat faced Mecca and started to desperately call out to Allah for help. And as a father of two beautiful daughters, I could, maybe I can relate somehow to the pain and the horror and the terror he must have felt in that moment, realizing he was about to lose a precious 12-year-old little girl. He called out to Allah, but in the middle of his time in prayer, he realized that he's been praying to Allah all his life, but Allah has never responded. But in the back of his mind, he was reminded that somebody once told him that there was a Christian God and that that God was love. So in the middle of the night, he reaches out, he calls out, and he says, Oh, Christian God, if you can hear me, save my daughter and help me. And in that moment, a, a man appeared in the room, shining of bright, warm light. And this man did not introduce himself by name, but he told his father four things. He says, when you're hungry, I will give you food. When you're naked, I will give you clothes. When you're hopeless, I will give you hope. And when you're in darkness, I will give you light. And then he said, take your family, pack your things, and flee right now to the south. Long story short, the whole family ended up on one of the inflatable boats in the Mediterranean. And as they approached Athens, as they approached Athens, the first group of people they saw on the beach were our young people from Word of Life. And they were holding four signs up. I've been retelling this story so many times, but I can't come through it without, without tearing up. They held four signs up. And on the four signs it said, if you're hungry, we have food. If you're naked, we have clothes. If you're hopeless, we have hope. If you're in darkness, we have light. And this family realized these young people are connected to the man that appeared in our house in Kabul. And the whole family gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. And every time I see them, every time I see the girl who is now 16 years old, I praise God for saving her life. But also I realize that Jesus depended on us so much that he identified himself completely with us being his hands and feet in this earth. And if we hadn't stepped out of the boat, the equation would not have been completed and salvation would not have been released. And I just pray now as we as I come to the close, that God will be able to break this down for your situation right now. Because you're going out in your world, 
Maybe your university, maybe your workplace, maybe among your, your neighbors and friends and relatives. And I just pray that the Spirit of God will ignite your heart, reminding you that there are people out there more prepared by the Spirit to listen and to receive that you might see on the surface. And that you are actually a missionary sent out into your world. And the only two things you need to do is dare to believe that the Spirit is going to be with you. And step out of your boat, out of your comfort zone. Dare to do something you wouldn't normally do so that God can break through and you can see something you've never seen before. Would you just open your heart wherever you are in the auditorium right now? And just where you sit, could you lift your hands up to him as a sign of dedication? And I just want to pray a prayer for you. Father, in Jesus' name, we are so thankful this morning that you are the God who prepares us by the power and the presence of your spirit to share your love and share your gospel. And we do believe right now, Lord, that you have also prepared the people on the street, the people of our world, the people that, that is part of, of our life to hear and to receive. And as a response, Lord, before you, we proclaim we will dare to believe that the Holy Spirit is with us. We will not limit the Holy Spirit to emotional experiences. We will dare to believe that he's with us because you promised he would be. And Father, in Jesus' name, whoever in this building you are calling to step out of their boat, out of their comfort zone, out of their safety area, we will take that step. And as we do, Lord, we just pray in Jesus' name that you will release the salvation of hundreds and thousands of people. And you will do the impossible because you are the God who makes the impossible possible. Bless your people, Father. Send them as missionaries into their world in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.